Good morning. We just need a little more energy in this room, don't we? My goodness, thank you, Chad. Hey, it's the beginning of what? Football season. Today I want to tell you a little story about Vince Lombardi, but ladies, it actually does have a point, not just because I'm a football fan. Now, I want to explain these two footballs so we get started. This one is because I was the reigning champion last year in the Moore Park Miracles Fantasy Football League. This one, SC fans, was signed by Pete Carroll when I was on the field a few years ago. Unfortunately, UCLA fans, as they were putting you to rest. But hey, UCLA fans, 2 0, beat Nebraska yesterday. Is this a good thing? So, you know, some people are Calvinists, some are Arminians. In our church, where are the USC fans? I'm not saying whether you're Calvinist or Arminian. And where are the UCLA fans? Okay, okay. And where are the Dodger fans? And where are the Angel fans? LSU. All right. Well, with that as an irreverent introduction, I, uh, I want us to remember something today. Get your bulleted outlines out, please. We're going to be taking some notes. But as we think about this story, I'm reminded again of Vince Lombardi, who after winning the Super Bowl in 1967, you'd think he'd have this grand new scheme, come back all charged up. And what he did in front of his crowd, his players, he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. Now, you'd think that he would have something more profound than, Gentlemen, this is a football. And so someone grabbed that football from him, and you can hang on to it. And he, has, he handed out footballs, and he talked about the basics. And the point this morning is, what are the basics? Well, let me tell you what our football is. It's pretty simple. Ladies and gentlemen... This is a Bible. We honor God's Word. Amen? Now, we don't worship God's Word. What we do is we study it so it can change our life. And so as we, and again, next week, get your game face on. We're going to start Colossians 1, verse 1, and I will teach us systematically through the book of Colossians beginning next week. But as we wrap up our series on getting a grip... I thought, you know, we've talked about failure, we've talked about complaining, but what about our priorities? How many of you would say, my priorities are perfectly in order? <laughs> Liars. Nobody raised their hand. Of course, none of our priorities are where we want them to be, but most importantly, what should our biblical priorities be? Not only personally, but as a church. That's the basics for us. 
What does God have as a purpose for our church? Now, I noticed, uh, I've been looking at the church bulletin that we have here, and you have your purpose and mission statement listed for you in the back of the bulletin. Most of you have not read this in a couple of years. We'll be referring to the back of that a little bit later. But what the bottom line is, what is our purpose as a church? That's what we're going to look at today. So let's jump to it. First of all, our motivation. Why do we need the church? Some would say, hey, we don't need the church. I don't need the church. I can have my own little Bible study. It says where two or three are gathered together. There I'm with their midst. Why do we need this? I want to suggest two reasons. Number one, God established the church. God established church. Matthew 16, 18, and uh, I apologize. I use New American Standard. Nancy just put, I think, is using NIV, so you can compare the two. I'll be reading from New American Standard. I'm not sure what's going on behind me, but we'll see how they match. Matthew 16, 18 says this, I shall say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, we all often think that this is a defensive term. This is an offensive term. It's saying the gates of hell won't prevail. We're going to take captives and make them free. The purposes of our church isn't just to sit around and have a holy huddle. We are on the offensive according to the, the church mandate in Matthew 16, 18. little thought here. I can't grow the church. That's not my job. Your next pastor can't grow the church. You know what I can do? I can feed the church. I can feed the church and I can love my family. And by the way, when I get those mixed up and I love the church more than I love my family, we're messed up. But I want to feed you, but I don't want to just feed you so you're dependent on this is the only spiritual meat you get during the course of the week. God's job is to expand the church. It's his. And I believe a healthy church is a growing church. And I believe God has wonderful things in store for you. But here's the problem. Pastors will come, and if the church doesn't grow, they get all fretful. I've been thinking about that. Why do we get fretful about that? God's called me to be faithful, not fretful. And he's called all of us to be fruitful. And I'll tell you more about that when we talk about evangelism. So I think the first reason we need the church is God established it. It's part of his plan. Secondly, we need the church because we need each other. We need each other. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll turn there, I don't think that passage is up there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and following. I'm going to read some selections from that. Um, in, in future weeks, this will be much easier. You're not going to be flipping pages. You're just going to start in Colossians 1. We'll, we'll just take it through. But here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the body is not one member, but many. But if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be gross. Where would the hear, that just big cyclotic, I just can't, yeah. If a whole body were an eye, uh, then there would, where would the hearing be? If a whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members of each of them in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
Or again, the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much sure that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. We need you. We need you in this church. None of you are extra material, so, so to speak. Every one of you have a place to play. And when we talk about ministry, I want to challenge us to think about that. Now, some of you are thinking, you're saying, well, how is a church different from other uh, gatherings of people? It's easy for me to say that. I almost sprayed Chad there. Number one, we're a family. We're a family, not an educational institution. We are a family. Number two, we're an organism not just an organization. We're an organism, not just an organization. And I hope you'll see some of you in our pictures this, uh, through the course of our sermon today. I think that was from VBS. And then we're a relational body, not just an institution. So three things. We're a family, not an educational endeavor. We're an organism, not just an organization. And we're a relational body, not just an institution. That means we do things a little differently. Let me suggest that there are four benefits of a healthy church body. And you can just kind of go down this checklist in your mind and say, is this true of us? Four words. First of all, need. Every member is useful and needed. Your gifts are needed here. A healthy body uses the gifts and we are all needed. Number two, there's value. No one's more valuable than someone else. People are valued. Whether it's a kid's choir, whether it's agape, whether it's the deacons, whether it's the children's workers. Number three, design. God designed us to be interdependent. He designed us not to be independent. And lastly, there's humility. A healthy body has humility. You see, pride isn't really a part of that equation. Pride isn't a part of that equation because some of you are going to be more visible. Some of you are outgoing, and it's hard not to notice you. And let me just illustrate it for you. Where are the extroverts in the church? Just raise your hands. I cannot believe they're not cheering and hollering for themselves. All right? Now watch this, because they won't raise their hand. Where are the introverts? You, oh, there's a couple that they, it goes up and down. All right? You see, some of us just love the limelight. All right? Some people want to never be seen. There's plenty of room in the body of Christ for all of you to be a part, whether you're up front or behind the scenes. Now, here's the point. What is our mission at ABF? What is our mission? It says right here, our vision and mission. Now, if I had a little longer, we'd talk about the difference between mission and vision and core values and objectives and all that. I just want to simplify it. I'm taking your words from the back of the bulletin. Agura Bible Fellowship is a family. Now, it's very interesting. You are very family-oriented. I saw it today. I saw it in the parents' breakfast this morning. And if you come new to the church, sometimes you wonder, do I fit in this family? Now, watch this. We're going to take a little survey. How many of you, here's what we're going to do. Stand up if you've been here more than one week. If you've been at this church more than one week, stand up. Now, I'm hoping that's nearly everybody in the church. If you're sitting down, then we know you're a guest. Well, God bless you. You know what? I, I am a veteran here then. I am two weeks, so I thought for sure I would have to sit down. All right. 
Sit down if you have been at this church one year or less. Sit down if you've been at this church one year or less. Now, just watch the numbers. Sit down if you've been at this church three years or less. Okay, now that's, there you go. Five years or less, sit down. Now we'll jump to the big numbers. Ten years or less, sit down. Okay, so look around you. Well over half the church has been here 10 years or more. 15 year, years or more, sit down. Or less, I should say. All right. Now, there's some young people standing here, so they were like apparently born on a Sunday, and uh, they, they've been here ever since. Uh, 20 years or less, sit down. 25 years or less. I want to find out how long this church has been around. 30 years or less. How long has the church been around? 35 years or less? You can't be that old. How old are you? <laughs> I'm Brent Miller. I know I look like I'm 37, but I'm 59 years old. 40 years or less. 45 years? How long have we been around? Okay, the bottom line is you can see a long time. And so some of us in the church, our family, and you know each other, etc. Remember, as you looked around, there are people, they're brand new. It's kind of like becoming the son-in-law in that big family with all girls. And you're the, and you're the first son-in-law. Now, some churches are like dogs, you know? They call them barking churches. Friendly to one another, barks at strangers, you know? So we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. You know what? I got to just tell you something. I love preaching to you. You're actually awake. I love that. How much sugar do they give you? Anyway, so we are mission. We're a family, and we're going to help each other to love God and love people. What a great plan. Some of you go, I love the first part. I hate the second part. I love God. hate people. Not really working in the church. So even if you're an introvert or you don't like people, our mission is to love God that's the what relationship? That's the vertical relationship. And to love people, that's the horizontal relationship. Now, the question is, everybody believes that. Every church in America, we can love God, love people. How are we going to do that? How do we do that? And I want to suggest to you that there are five purposes for your church, for our church. And in fact, uh, we see these in the back of the bulletin. Now, I want to take you to Acts chapter 2 because I want to illustrate that these five purposes weren't defined just by Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Church. These come right out of Acts chapter 2. They've been around for a couple thousand years. And what happens is, if we took the time to parse each one of these purposes, you can find out a church, if they overemphasize one of these purposes to the exclusion of another, there are certain predictable consequences in a church. And when you overemphasize one to the exclusion of any of the others, you get out of balance, just like uh, some of your cars need balancing because they're out of balance. So look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. It says this, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is verse 42, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, the modern uh, interpretation of breaking of bread is we assume that is not only just the fellowship of of, of a sharing a meal, but most people think communion was a part of that breaking bread experience. 
And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Wouldn't that be, that's kind of what I felt this morning. There was a sense of awe in this room. I like some of your faces. I stood in the back, you're going, where's my seat? My seat is taken. Where is, <laughs> who are all these people? I've been sitting in that row for, since day one. Now, I want to tell you where the best seats in the house are, right up here. Yeah. Actually, the safest are in the, beyond the splash zone in the second row. <laughs> that would be the safest, but the best ones are right there. And so what does he say? Verse 44, or verse 43, they have a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, we can debate that. We're not going to talk about cessationists sir, or the gifts for today, but there was a sense of excitement. Here's something else. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. This is one for the modern church that we wrestle with. Really? I mean, a little communal living? I'm telling you what, if you're a 20-something or younger, you've thought long and hard about that. Because if you try to live in community, that has, that has implications for how you do life in this church. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Now look at the two primary structures. In the temple, that's the large church gathered. Our temple equivalent would be the worship service. And breaking bread from house to house, that's our small groups. In the temple, in the house. So it's not just enough to come on Sunday mornings. That's good. That's a start. But we want every single one of you to be in a small group. And I was thinking, what are the, what's the cool name for our groups here at ABF? Is it life groups? Is it community groups? It's called small groups. All right, so <laughs> that's our name. We got small groups or home fellowships. Uh, you can actually name whatever you want it to be. Uh, but the idea is a smaller portion of us get together where we really share life, where we do life together. And in fact, starting next week when our high school kids will be staying in the service, junior high and senior high, that part of their life group will be when they break off for that 45 minutes, they'll be doing life together. There'll be a thing, and you see it this week, called table talk, where they'll be able to discuss questions. You should be using the table talk questions to, to, in your family devotions. At least once a week, hopefully you're just reviewing the sermon, talking through it as a family. And so they broke bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness, Apparently, no complaining about certain kinds of meals that were cooked back then. And sincerity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Not a closed system. People were welcome. People came to faith in Christ. So let's deal with one of the issues that sometimes churches want to know when a pastor is going to come. Are we going to be about reaching people or teaching people? Let me ask you this. Is it more important to inhale or exhale? What's more important, the takeoff or the landing? Well, that one I, I think landing. But anyway, um, <laughs> but the idea is they're both important. All five of these purposes are important. So what are they? According to Acts chapter 2, and what I'm going to do is just give you the verses. You can refer back to them. But I want to suggest that we see five purposes coming right out of Acts 2. First of all, worship. And from our bulletin, that's connecting with God. Connecting with God. Worship, connecting with God. 
And you saw that in Acts 2. Two parts to that. Every one of these purposes, I want to just make two little points of explanation. Number one, worship is God's power to live on. You have to be a worshiping community. Psalm 34, 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Everything starts with worship. This is worship. What Chad does is worship. Taking the offering is worship. Worship happens more than just being in this room. Our lives have to be a tapestry of praise representing Jesus Christ wherever we are at. In fact, I think the model is we worship God before we work. If you look at the Old Testament, every time Abraham went to a new place, did he dig the well or did he build the altar first? He built the altar first. Worship should precede everything in our life. Now, the problem is when a person said, worship, so too many people worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. We don't want to do that. Here's how you will honor the Lord. Now, remember how occasion I'll go from preaching to meddling? I'll always let you know. I'll step away from the pulpit, and then I'm in a meddle. Getting here at 10 after 10 is unacceptable, friends. I just got to tell you, you got to get here earlier. You say, but we don't start on time. We will start on time. Chad will start on time. He wants to start on time, but it's hard when seven people are here at five till. So please work with us. The best seats are up front. Let the children sit in the back so they can leave early, and then we can fill in the seats with latecomers, which none of you will be now. We just have this agreement. And so be on time. If worship is important, you don't want to miss any of it. And part of it is it starts before the first note is played. Worship begins by preparing your heart. In fact, everybody was in there for a while, and I came in, and there was like four of us in here. We had the music playing softly. It was awesome. There was just a sense of, okay. Do you come with anticipation, or do you come with your to-do list of all the stuff? We talked about that last week. So we honor God with our lives. It's the power to live on. God gets great pleasure in our worship, but it's far more than just the music as we've talked about. Secondly, it's a process. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's a process. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. So a God-honoring life is a process. And it take, this adventure of worship is a one that takes time. And as we build this intimate relationship with God, we will worship Him. Number two, fellowship. Growing with other Christians. They were continually devoting themselves to the teaching and fellowship. Well, let's talk a little bit about fellowship. Fellowship or community, I like that word, is God's people to live with. You don't do the Christian life by yourself. Let's read from the, the Bible together that verse, all right? It's from the NIV. Say it together, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. Life was meant to be shared, friends. You say, but you don't know my life. I work 15 hours a day. I've got this big commute. I've got three kids. They're, I mean, there's just soccer practice. There's always, always something. But I'm telling you, you won't get the fellowship you need by just showing up here on Sundays. You will not get it. You need, ladies, you need 
to go to the women's retreat. You get an extended weekend together so that you can really go deep with one another. I'm telling you, the best conversations I've had are not in women's retreats, because I've never been invited. But at a men's retreat, sitting down, late night talks, why do you think youth pastors love retreats? Because you get more done in a weekend sometimes than you get in a whole year of Sunday school. I'm not devaluing Sunday school. I just know that it takes time to build relationships. I may just be your interim, but that's why I love pastor chats. No agenda, just come and talk. Want to hear your story. Want to hear what God's doing in your life. So it's God's community of people to live with, and it's personal. It's personal. The Living Bible says it this way. It's different than on the screen. It says, you are members of God's very own family, and you belong to God's household with every other Christian. So I'm going to ask you a whole series of questions, but you can get your game face out. Am I in an authentic you know, community where we're really loving and caring for one another? Are you going to be some men? You know, you say, I can't do an evening group. Great. Come at 6 o'clock Tuesday mornings, September 25th, and join me. 6 o'clock Tuesday mornings, Men's Summit. There's a way in a, uh, to do this. Maybe you can't be in a couples group. Maybe you can be only in a women's Bible study. Get in lambs. Get in precepts. Get, get somewhere, but get in a smaller group. Number three, discipleship. And discipleship, we always want to talk about teaching, but I want to suggest discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. 1 John 2.6 says it this way. He, he, he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Or as the NIV says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What is discipleship? Discipleship gives God's principles to live by. Fellowship is God's people to live with. Worship is God's what? Power to live on. This is the principles to live by. Colossians 1.28, teaching every man and woman with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Teaching is a big part of what we do on Sunday morning. But let me just suggest to you that if this is the only teaching you get in your entire week, you will be spiritually malnutritioned. Now, I can make you laugh, I can make you cry, God can humble you. I mean, lots of things can happen in here. But this, this book has the power to change your life in a way that nothing else can if you'll put your nose in the book and spend time with Him. And I'll talk about that, how, how that applies in your family when we wrap up today. So we get to know God. Now, be careful the Scripture says if it's all about head knowledge, it says what about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up. So if it's all about learning more facts, you know, giving you more word studies, I'm not saying those things aren't important. I mean, it's intimidating. There's people who are seminary graduates sitting in this audience, right? And I know that. In fact, I need to meet you. You can help me prep. Tell me what this means in this passage. I'm not above groveling. In fact, in fact, if you'll come and see me this week, we have treats. <laughs> Somebody got it. Some junior high girl brought me chocolate chip cookies as a result of last week's sermon. 
So they're gonna sit on my, my desk and when you come to see me for pastor chat, you can have a cookie. <laughs> that, is a, that is just a shameless bribe. <laughs> Thank you, Chad, you can, you, you can have one too. So discipleship, those are the principles to live by and there's a plan. Oh, oh, back to this knowledge thing. I, I lost my train of thought. Don't be educated beyond your obedience. Some of you have been studying the word for 50 years. No offense, now do something about it. If you can have all the head knowledge in the world, now live it. Go do something with it. Now, I'm a huge fan of Bible study, so do not get me wrong. In fact, K. Arthur can bring it if you're a precept lady. Why are there precept ladies, but there's not precept men, you know? Um, she can bring it. Uh, some of you are big fans of Beth Moore. Wonderful teaching. I personally am a big fan of a guy named Andy Stanley, and, he, and he, I love the way he teaches. So let's just have this agreement. If I'm not giving you enough, that's okay. There's about 9,000 podcasts you can go to. Find your pastor of choice. Listen to him on the way to work, on the way home from work. You know, put your radio to 98.3 KDAR and... You can get Swindoll at 7, and you can get MacArthur at 7.30. I mean, I don't know where. But just, there's no excuse. Here's what I hear from some people. Oh, that church is just an inch deep and a mile wide. I want some meat. Look at folks. The meat is in the Word. I'm going to illuminate it so that you can apply it. Now, I preach long enough as it is. You do not want me going into Mondays, all right? <laughs> So there is a principle to live by. There's a plan. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. This is the plan for discipleship. It's very simple. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's an investment. Hear me tell you what the investment starts by. Dads, you are the spiritual leaders of your family. It starts with your wife. All right? So if you're married in this audience, your responsibility is to invest in your wife. Together, you invest in the lives of your kids. Now, the problem is, for many of you, you never had that model in your home. If I, I won't raise hands, but some, many of you did not grow up in a home that honored the Lord. And so you're just fumbling through life. Trying to figure, How do we do this? How do I be a spiritual leader in my home? What about discipline? Is there a difference between Christian discipline and just any kind of discipline? Well, to help us out, I'm going to do a little three-part parenting series in October on Tuesday nights. So you drop your kids off at Wana. And then we'll have a little teaching time, and we're going to spend three weeks talking about how to be a spiritual leader in your home. Very practical stuff on discipline and, and loving your kids and not killing them. <clears throat> and then the fourth week won't be a Tuesday night. The last Sunday in October, we're going to invite all the Awana parents, all the Awana kids, anybody who came to the parenting series to join us for a service called uh, our first family service where all the kids from pre-K all the way through senior adults will be in one service, and we'll talk about the idea of I want to be just like you. How do you pass the spiritual baton to your kids? Just for a moment, where are the grandparents? I do want to find out. Where are grandparents? Okay, I would like all the grandparents to make appointments with me. I need to know what I need to do to be a better grandparent. This is new for me. <laughs> I've determined there are two things I'm going to do for sure. Spoil them and give them much sugar before I give them back to them. <laughs> Not sure if that's supposed to be happening, but I think it's going to be payback time. 
There is a plan. There is a plan. Fourth, ministry, serving together. Ministry, serving together. Romans 12, 11. Whether it's a choir or at a rest home, there's plenty of serving opportunities. What about ministry? Serving is God's profession to live out. This is your job, folks. We serve. Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Christ followers, by definition in the New Testament, are servants. True? Matthew 20.28. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. If our model is Jesus Christ, then by definition, we are servants. And the cool thing is most of you in this church are doing something. I'm just amazed at how much the deacons and the deaconesses and the elders and the staff and the Sunday school teachers and the youth workers, it's amazing how many things that you're doing. We all get to serve. It's not just my job or Chad's job or John's job or Carolyn's job or Catherine's job. It's all of our jobs to serve. And so I know that we, we have this ministry mindset here. And ultimately that service brings glory to God, doesn't it? Matthew 3.16, let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. See, our service isn't so we can get all the attention. Our service is to bring glory to God. By the way, you've been unbelievably kind, magnanimous, and generous. I love it. Oh, Pastor, that was just a wonderful message. Hey, give it a few weeks. I'll offend you sooner or later, right? <laughs> Look at... They're not going to be everything I'm going to say you're going to like. That's not what's important. Don't shoot the messenger because of the message. What I will do is, this is what, to the best of my ability, telling you what I believe God's Word is saying. But more importantly, it's not just what it's saying. It's not just observing the text. It's not just interpreting the text. I want to get us to application. So what? If we just go, mm, that was nice, now let's go to... Where am I going for lunch? Where did we eat last week? Angel. If it's just about coming to church and going to Angel Cafe, they love it because we bring them a lot of business. I'm going for the 10% off from ABF on Sundays. <laughs> just going to put it out there to them. Um, but if that's all it is, then that's not enough. Don't you want to wake up in the morning and going, God, what adventure, what adventure am I on today? What is it that you're going to allow me to do to make a difference in the kingdom. I mean, you can make a lot of money. Great. Tithe it to our church. But more than making money, what is it? What is God's passion? He's laid on your heart. I heard that there's a small group that goes every couple of months and they're feeding the homeless up in Ventura. And they all got back for church today. That is awesome. But you know what? There's a lot of hidden stuff that goes on here too that no one sees. We need you to serve. We need you to serve. Missions, evangelism, that's loving the world. Now, you call it mission. I call it evangelism. In the 50s, they called it soul winning. We got to love the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Jesus is our model. We love the world. Reaching is God's purpose to live for. 1 Peter 3.15, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason or the hope you have. Now, if you've ever studied the harmony of the Gospels, you know that there are certain stories that are repeated four times. 
Anytime there's a story repeated four times in the Gospels, that's a pretty important story. Do you know that the Great Commission, we always quote Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Four times plus the book of Acts, we have the Great Commission reinstated or restated. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Write these down. You can go check it out for yourself. Mark 16, 15. Luke 24, 47 to 49. John 20, 21, and Acts 1, 8. First five books of the New Testament restate the Great Commission. Love God, love people. The Great Commandment. The Great Commission. Four times. And book facts. Now, Jesus says, come to believers, and he says, go and reach your world. It's a come and go, and that's what he's saying. So there is a purpose, and there's a passion. The passion is this, from Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Are you excited? Are you excited about what Jesus Christ is doing in your life? And to what degree will that excitement rub off on the people who you love the most or the people you say you love the most? One of the humbling things when you're in a small church is, you know, how do you meet people if you don't have kids in sports, you know, and you're, you're not out on that soccer field for hours on end? Well, I'm a big racquetball player, so I play racquetball. And so early on in my tenure in moving to Moore Park, I found a racquetball court in Thousand Oaks at, right by the high school at the community center. I started playing racquetball, just showing up, trying to meet people. Well, over the course of the last three and a half years, I have two friends. George is an atheist, and Emery's an agnostic. Emery complicates the things because he's not only an agnostic, he's a vegan. And so I said, okay. So when we go out to lunch, we got to eat at the right places. So I said, I said, Emory, why don't you come to church just one Sunday? You know, be a secret shopper. You can tell me what you think. He goes, oh, these Christians, you know, they're kind of, you know. I don't like organized religion. So I said, okay, I'll do this. I will eat vegan for a week if you will come to church for one hour on a Sunday. He said, okay. That was not a good deal for me. <laughs> Friends, and I'll, the camera can see, this is not a vegan kind of body, let me just tell you. I'm a carnivore with red meat as the top of my food chain. But I did it, and he came. He came once. We've had probably 30 conversations after racquetball about a host of subjects. George, my atheist friend, thinks you've got to check your brain in at the door to be a Christian. And so we need those of you in the body of Christ who are apologists, not a, a, apologetic, apologists, who are able to take God's Word, take complex ideas and make it simple, and then, just for fun, be able to engage with a secular mindset who starts with, I'm not sure there really is a God, or I don't believe there is a God. Now you take the Bible away, so now what do you do? Those are the people that I'm engaging with. And that isn't always the easiest discussions. But here's the universal thing I know about reaching people who are far from God. Nothing convinces them more about Jesus than L-O-V-E. So I had this party in our neighborhood. Now, in God's providence, I got the dates wrong, and we actually had two parties. We didn't know we were having two, but we had the wrong date. We invited people on Saturday and Sunday. 
Two different groups of six families show up at our house. We don't know us from a hole in the wall. And we just had a party. Jesus did that with Matthew. Have a party at your house. But pastor, when do we share the gospel? Is it the halftime during the Super Bowl? <laughs> no, when you're throwing down a few brewskis, maybe. Then they'll be more interested in the gospel. Just kidding. Just I should have saved that until I'd been here much longer. <laughs> the good news is I'm out of here in December, you know, so I, I can get out of Dodge. No, see, we're so, e we're so quick to, to pound them with the Bible in the first meeting. How about just hanging out? How about just talking? You know, fantasy football opens up a lot of doors of conversation for me, believe it or not. Some of you ladies go, I can't believe that that would be engaging with anybody on the face of the planet. Well, think about what is engaging for you, ladies, and do it. Find it. Get there. Be there. Missions and evangelism. There's a passion. So here's the summary. If we're doing these five purposes, and I would invite you, think about if any one of those five purposes is kind of the exalted one and all the other ones are ignored. Think about the consequences of that in a church. I won't unwrap it for you, but just think about that, and I think you'll see there's predictable consequences. So our church is going to grow stronger through worship and honoring God. Okay? Our church is going to go, grow closer through fellowship and connecting with each other. I wish I could have come to that camp out. It looks like fun. That's my kind of camp out. It's in the backyard here. If it gets mosquitoes, I go inside. You know? Love it. By the way, I believe in camping. Hilton, Marriott, you know? It's all good. By the way, I, should, I did love camping. Um, for any of you who know about this little sleep, I have sleep apnea, so I have to have a little plug to plug in. If I don't, my wife doesn't sleep because I snore. It's not a good thing. That's much more information than you needed. Let's stay back on track. Stronger, closer, deeper through discipleship and growing in God's Word. We're going to do that at the Men's Summit on Tuesday nights, or Tuesday mornings. See, that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of a Freudian slip. Tuesday mornings at 6. Yay. I will be there smiling. Now, if you had it Tuesday nights at 9, that's my prime time. Broader. We're going to grow broader through ministry and serving. And then we're going to grow larger through evangelism and reaching the lost, people who are far from God. So I want to wrap up and make this personal. See, that's, this is talking about the church corporately, but what about your family? Well, over 20 years ago, I listened to a guy named John Maxwell who said, take a long time to make a short list about what you really want for your family. And I made a list of five things, and I just, as I was studying this week, I noticed how these five things that I came up with 20 years ago just for our family kind of fall into these five purposes. See, I think the five purposes are lived out in your family as well. It's not just a church thing. So my first one is for my kids, I want them to love Jesus with all their heart. I want them to love Jesus with all their heart. Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Of course, he's qu quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5, right? And I, that was a prayer since before our kids were born because I didn't want them to be the, the typical pastor's kids, entitled, spoiled brats, not present company withstanding. I'm not judging anybody's kids in this church, but I just know historically pastor's kids can sometimes be your worst kids in the church. I wanted my kids to love Jesus with all their heart. We prayed about that. Secondly, I want them to fellowship. I want them to marry a growing Christian and pass that spiritual baton to their children. And we started praying for our kids' future spouses while they were in the womb. Prayer has been answered for child number one, Katie. 
John Daniel, now that he's fully employed, praise God, there's hope. There's hope. But I remember praying for Katie's future husband. And when Ryan came into her life, her freshman year, Biola, it was so cool. They actually courted one another, if you know that term. And then that fateful day came where he asked me out to coffee. It was the junior year of college, and I knew what was coming. Asking me out for coffee meant the question. You know what the question is. Mr. Irwin, I've been courting your daughter. I would like to ask for her hand in marriage. Would you bless this? And I said, no. Yes, of course I will. Of course I will. He says, then I've got a plan. You know how you guys are going to Hawaii to celebrate John's graduation and Katie's graduation? Let's tell her that, and we would have invited him. We'd already talked about it. Let's tell her that I can't come. I said, okay, I hear a lie brewing. What are we going for here? He goes, I'd like to propose to her while you're in Hawaii. I said, I like this. But she thinks you're going to be gone? Yeah. So here's how it went down. Told her that because he's the oldest of eight kids, he's going to take the younger brothers on a, on a camping vacation up the Oregon coast. And so I'm sorry, Katie, can't go with you on vacation. <laughs> so sure enough, the day before we fly to Hawaii, he shows up in the van. He's got like the camping gear. All the boys are in there. They have, because my daughter would have checked, he had a trip tick done with auto club. All they were doing was taking him to the airport so he'd get there before we would. But she thinks, okay, he's gone. He gets there the day ahead. He had worked out to uh, a restaurant right on the, on the, on the water at, uh, in Maui, at, in uh, Lahaina. Hula Grill, if you know that place, arranged to be uh, to get the stage and do some live music. Uh, they had live music there. So sure enough, the next night we show up. We're sitting there having dinner. The band goes off. This soul act comes up. The soul act is Ryan. John Daniel, now Katie doesn't know, notice any of this, that where's mom? Well, she's positioned herself with the camera. <laughs> and by the way, this is a shameless plug. If you come on the last Sunday in October, I will show this clip of him proposing to her, but I'm just preparing you. So she's filming. John Daniel, his cue is, come on, Katie, let's dance. And he, she's going like, loser brother, no. <laughs> She didn't. She, he goes, oh, I'm eating bread. No, come on, Katie, let's go. So he grabs her, pulls her, twirls her onto the dance floor, spins him around as Ryan sings this song, If You're Not the One, by Daniel Benningfield. 400 people in the restaurant stop everything. Every waiter knew about this, so they were thinking, shh, be quiet. We got something. <laughs> and then he did the thing that every parent dreams of. He knelt down and said this. He said, Katie, you were the first girl I ever kissed, and you will be the last. Would you be my wife? Now, if you hear it on the, on the, on the, <laughs> here's Cheryl going, ah, ah, my baby. <laughs> she is wailing on that. Instantly, they are the hit of of Maui, everywhere we go, is that the dude who proposed to that girl? Dang, he's good, you know? <laughs> it's a hard act to follow. But that's what we prayed for. We prayed that God would bring a godly man into her life. Now let me just be, pause for a moment of 
of reality. Some of you are dying today because your kid married a non-believer. Your heart is breaking. You're wondering, what is ever going to happen to my grandkids? And I know the pain of an unequally yoked marriage. Some of you are divorced because of someone who left you for somebody else. All trust was broken. And so in the in the joy of this moment, I want to say, I realize reality says that doesn't always happen. Number three, in our family, I prayed that they'd be able to read the Bible and apply it to daily living. How many of you want your kids just to, I mean, how many of you would like this? I'd just like to be able to get in the Word a little bit each day and so that, but I wake up and I got to go work out or I got to commute and, and all of a sudden I, wait, I go to bed again and it's another day I didn't even open my Bible. That's the, probably the, the normal Christian life in most churches. It's going to take an act of your will to say, I've got to sleep less if I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to have to go to bed earlier to get in the Word. I'm going to have to get the Bible on CD or, or whatever and so I can listen to it as I'm driving. Whatever you have to do, you've got to spend time in the Word. You know, I didn't have that model with my family. I learned how to have a quiet time when I was in eighth grade on a vacation in Newport Beach at Balboa Island because a godly man who I, I was vacationing with their family invited me to join him. What happened is I was too wired that first night and I woke up at six o'clock in the morning. And I was going, like every eighth grader, going for food, right? So I went to the refrigerator. There he's at the table and he's got his Bible open. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I, I'm having my quiet time. I like to meet with God before I meet with anybody else every day. I said, oh, that's cool. I was going for the milk. He said, hey, you want to join me? And I'm thinking, not so much. <laughs> um, but I was respectful. I said, sure. So I sat down for 15 minutes, and I joined him. He said, hey, you want to join me tomorrow? I go, what time? Well, 6 o'clock, 6 a.m. I'm thinking, 10 a.m. is more my style. I said, well, hey, I'll tell you what. If I wake up, I'd be glad to join you. He says, and I'll never, he goes, oh, you will. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> What's he going to set an alarm now? And so, sure enough, I, I, I wake up at 6 in the morning. Now, think about this if you're a young person in here. It's like, no! I'm hitting my pillow. 6 o'clock, no! But I made a promise, so I got up. Sure enough, I go there, and he had seen, he'd seen through this food thing. There's some Dunkin' Donuts on the table, and there's another bag. He says, I got something for you. I said, what? He says, I got you a Bible. Now think back, this is in the late 60s. It was when the Living Bible had just come out. He got me a Living Bible New Testament. And I could actually understand it for the first time. I was on, you know, on vacation with them for two weeks. 14 days in a row, I got up at 6 in the morning and learned how to have a quiet time. I wasn't his kid. I was just a vacationer with their family. Sunday school teachers who are there, not hearing this, but some of you are those people. What you are doing with our children, Awana workers, what you are doing with our kids will pay dividends for eternity that you will have no idea about. You know, I've been teaching like this for 34 years. One of my high school kids from Evie Free Huntington Beach in the early 80s, I was visiting them, they're now married, showed me notebooks full of my teaching notes because I was one of those guys, I think you should teach the Bible to high school kids. Funny me, you know? Let's teach James. Let's teach John. 
I just taught systematically through the Bible. I had no idea. I just thought they were making airplanes, throwing them away, you know, who knows. Discipleship, be able to read the Bible, become more like Jesus. We'll wrap up here. Ministry, be involved in ministry and serve God faithfully. That's what I wanted. My kids are involved in all kinds of things. My daughter in high school, my son-in-law work in high school ministry at their church. John Daniel started a thing called Burgers and Bibles. I thought, oh, that's cool. You guys get together, eat burgers, in and out, and have a Bible study. No, Dad, we make the burgers, and we take them to the homeless. The Bible study is for them, and the food is for them. Evangelism. Have a passion to share Christ as a way of life. What is it that God's called you to? Chad, come and get ready, would you? What is God calling you to? Who is that person who is far from God, who you need to reach somehow, some way? Going vegan for a week? I'm down with that. Who is it that you're going to share Christ with when that opportunity arises? But probably more importantly, is who is it that God's laying on your heart that you need to take some time to build that relationship? You see, we're good at giving edicts. We're good at saying, hey, you got to do this. we got to be that. I don't want, I hope you didn't hear a list of stuff that you got to do today. What I heard, I hope you heard, are the priorities of who we've got to become if we're going to be a difference maker right here in this town. Amen? Don't leave today being scolded. You're not scolded. Don't leave today with, oh, man, that pastor gave me a long list of things I got to do. Uh-uh. Here's what I want you to do. Be open to the Holy Spirit's work in your life and let him change you from the inside out. We sang about that. And then let him use you to be a difference maker, not just in this church, but in your family, in your neighborhood, in the workplace, and in your world. Amen? Amen. Lord, that's our marching orders. We are the light of the world. And I pray that, that we would be that. That light of Jesus would shine through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oops, oops.